Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes! Caught Offside from the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. What's up, brother? I'd just like to welcome along our new listeners from North Africa, France, some Arab-speaking countries who delighted in a video I tweeted, Andrew, of uh, once lost boy of QPR and Spurs, Adele Tarapt. Yeah. He nutmegged a Zenit player in an audacious fashion, and everyone's just loving it because we kind of forgot he existed. Yeah, he was all over Twitter uh, after that happened. Which is nice for him. I remember him as being a guy who, for Tottenham, would he'd be like the... It's freezing cold out. I'm going to wear short sleeves with gloves, yeah. which I always thought was odd. I did until I discovered that the nerve endings are in the hands, not the arms. <laughs> so that's why you can do that. I always thought it was stupid. Yeah. You can have a freezing arm and yet you can have warm hands. Yeah. Uh, fun show we should have coming up for you is now the group stage of the Champions League has concluded. So we'll kind of have like a, like a, a retrospective sort of, uh, on, you know, a few of the big questions coming out of the group stage and looking ahead to the knockout stage. Obviously, we don't know the knockout stage Draw. matchups just yet. That will happen on Monday. We know what like teams could potentially face. You can't face a, a team that was in your group, and you can't face a team that plays in your domestic league. Yeah. So, uh, so you do. So, go ahead if you've got a vested interest. Just go look at you know, with those two things in mind, and and you'll know what the options are are limited to. But yeah, we'll talk about a few things from the the group stage. Uh, let's see. We have a what to watch for. Pretty small one. A few. I really only identified three games that were really interesting to me in the Premier League this weekend. None on Saturday. So maybe if if you've got something to do, maybe Saturday's your day to do it. And red cards, man of the match. Um, both of which I don't care for for myself. And in the time since, I have identified things that I kind of wish I had chosen instead, but I was too lazy to go back and actually change them. But maybe we'll still talk about what those other things were. I hate my man of the match, and I will <laughs> openly mock it. It's it's not it's not amusing. It's not funny. I was just desperate. I couldn't find something that I could really get behind. So we end up with what we get from me, which is not good. But, 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 I do like my red card. My red okay, card good. is interesting. Well, that's good. Uh, we ready? also have, just so we know, oh. we have one mailbag issue I need to address. Just one. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, usually when that happens, it's like some sort of criticism that you feel like we have to Oh, no, 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 no. I've given up on that. People can love, they can hate. It's okay. none of my business. By the way, one other thing, uh, one other extraneous note. I was uh, watching ESPN FC yesterday after the Champions League games. I was curious for what some of those guys thought about them. And they got into, at one point, just Chris, favorite Christmas movies. And ah. like not that that's a conversation that I want to go down that road, but one thing that I thought was so weird was Dan Thomas mentioned Love Actually as being his. And Alejandro Moreno... You know what he said? What did he say? He goes, "That's a Christmas movie." I was like, "Have you have you seen it? Like, how, is he, is it's he, like the definitive Christmas movie of this generation." Is he only like, watching? He is about? he only watching the scenes where Colin Firth is in a foreign country and there's no snow? Is that the only scene he's watching? Or the office scenes? Even the office scenes are Christmassy. Yeah, it's, it's no, the dreadful the, film though. JJ, oh. the movie is literally based around the holiday. Every yeah. part of it. Like, if you've never seen it, Ali, then. Okay, but, but then don't have an opinion on it. Don't even ask that question. I just thought it was – I heard him say that. I was like, that's that's a weird question to ask. But I'd say he's full in on the idea that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. 
Yeah, and I think it is. It is a Christmas movie. Yeah. But like, it's, to me, like, questioning love actually as a Christmas movie, it's like if somebody, if I was like, yeah, I love, for war movies, Saving Private Ryan's probably my favorite, and somebody's saying, that's a war movie? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, oh, Jaws. Jaws is brilliant. Uh, you know, it's so scary about sharks. That was a shark? That's a nautical-themed picture? Uh, you ready to talk some soccer here, my friend? Yeah, before we get into it, Elf is a terrible film. I agree. Thank yeah. you for saying that. I don't like it either. It's not funny. People's ears bleed when I tell them I don't like that movie. No, because they're in the cult of Ferrell. I like Ferrell. I love Will Ferrell, yeah, but, but I don't there like is a cult movie. where everything he does, everything he says, is hilarious. It's not true. I don't like that movie. I'm with you. We're going to get a lot of hate for that. People, that is not a, po- I have found that to not be a popular opinion. No, it's, I, it is not a popular opinion, but I mean, we wouldn't do this podcast if we, if we just trotted out everything everybody wanted to hear. Our listeners would be at zero. It's because we don't do that. Uh, They're edgy. They're fresh. Is that irreverent? Pew, pew, pew. I did guns there to suggest uh, edginess. Let's talk about the Champions League group stage. So I have a few questions here. We do this from time to time. We'll, we'll, we'll throw out questions to each other and then we'll answer them. Um, my first one for you is coming out of this, which club are you feeling the best about? Well, from a personal standpoint and considering the stakes going into the final game and the fact that the reigning champions hadn't solidified their spot in the last 16, you got to feel good about Liverpool, particularly based on the second half performance Mm -hmm. and a large part of the first half. That was really good. And uh, Jesse Marsh's team got a bit of a scolding after they had had like a 10, 15 minute period where they created plenty of chances and it was end to end for the first half. But the second half, yeah, it was all Liverpool. So so that has you feeling good. But I'm going to say Atalanta... Because last season we said, or sorry, last week we said uh, they were a bit of a bit of a disappointment. Um, and they, but if you look at the the larger context of who they are, they're like a West Brom in England. They've been a yo-yo club um, for parts of their history, and for them to be in the last sixteen is is pretty good, considering the fact that they shipped eleven goals in their first three games. Like they looked like they were going to be wiped out. They're the first in the current format of the Champions League. They're the only club ever to have zero points from their first three games and advance. Yes. They had one point through four. Now that says a lot about the ineptitude of the rest in the group. It does. But still, Gian Piero Gasparini gets some credit. Yeah, certainly does. I saw the uh, the scenes in Atalanta. Bergamo. Yeah, okay. Um, and like people lost their minds and rightfully they should. It, yeah. was, it is a good story. And they have like a tiny wage bill compared to people were comparing them. I saw um, uh, Benetti, the ESPN Italian man. He was uh, comparing them to United's payroll, which is I wouldn't do that. Like that's that doesn't work. It's just astronomical. They're going to be playing in the but, San Siro, but we'll get to Inter later. But <laughs> compare yeah. compare them to Inter. But I think because their stadium doesn't meet like. The UEFA Champions League standards. They're going to play I, in the San Siro. I remember Everton playing them in the Europa League a couple of seasons ago in in Bergamo. And yeah, where is Bergamo? I'm not familiar. I'm not sure. Actually, we should probably must look be close that up. to Milan if they're playing in the San Siro. You give that answer. Uh, Northern, I would imagine, because of their boggy field. I recall yeah. from that. But um, no, my Italian geography is a bit off there. You, you, tell yeah. Me. Their, their story is a good one because it kind of a lot's been made of the Champions League group stage that um, it's the first time ever where no club outside of the top five big leagues, England, Germany, Spain, 
France and Italy. No club from outside of those five leagues has advanced. But like we'll get to that, that. that that's a that's kind of a shallow perception because you do have clubs like Atalanta, I think, that kind of buck the trend. Yeah, but it's not about individual clubs. I will talk about this later. It's about leagues and what the leagues have done to make sure that it's this way. Well, TV money and things like that certainly helps. Oh, yes, in the Northeast. Okay. All right, well, there you go. Mystery solved. Bergamo. Yeah. Bergamo. Uh, let's see, JJ. My club that I'm feeling best about, and it's not because I necessarily think that they're going to go on and, and make a lot of noise, but kind of along the lines of what you're saying, I went with Valencia um, just because I don't know in that group how many people thought it would be them finding their way through. They're eighth right now in the league. Um, and, you know, like you look at Chelsea, you look at Ajax, even Lille in that group, who were runners-up in France last year. I just don't know that many people looked at Valencia and thought that not only would they get through the group, but they would actually top it in the end. Uh, they got rocked at home on match day two in the Champions League by Ajax. It, it felt, I don't know, it felt like whatever early promise you saw from them against Chelsea having won that opener was kind of zapped right then and there when they lost that game 3-0. Um, but then they didn't lose again, uh, including a 4-1 win over Lille. And then the crucial final day win in Amsterdam against Ajax. It's been a weird season for them. Marcelino, uh, their manager who led them to the Copa del Rey title last year over Barcelona and who led them to a top four finish. He was fired earlier this season, despite the fact that he's beloved by the fans, beloved by his players. He had disagreements with ownership over the direction of the club. You know, typically, why would a manager be fired after a season like that? Uh, for those kinds of reasons, direction, things like that. And fans protested outside the stadium, and players were really unhappy. Um, and it kind of left their new manager, Albert uh, Saledas, in this weird position of now being the one who has to see through these marching orders. Ownership wanted them to be playing younger players. And you know, Valencia just beat Barcelona to win the domestic cup, and they're in the Champions League. And I can understand why Marcelino wanted more, but now Saledas has to carry out these marching orders, and they're through. And, and look, if he hadn't, like, you've got players now like Ferran Torres, who scored four goals, who helped set up the winner against Ajax. Like, he's 19 years old. Would he have been playing? So, I don't know. I looked at it and I just say good for Valencia that they were able to find their way through in a group where I didn't think that that was going to be possible. And their fans, they are not uh, the same as Real Madrid fans. They're not the same as Barcelona fans. But they have pedigree in this competition going back to the early 2000s. Well, they appeared in back-to-back titles. Right. So they, they want to be in this position. And... Uh, like it's not like other fans don't want to be, but they kind of they they see it as somewhere they that the club should be. And um with the amount of players they've produced in the last twenty years, it's probably it's probably right. They are an elite elite uh team in European football standards. I love their stadium too. Yeah. Are they still being sued? Oh their stadium. Their stadium used to be oh, you don't want to go there. You definitely don't want to go there. That's one of those bi- those grounds that are. Ver- oh, you're definitely going to lose there. It's a, it's a bit like the turf more of Spain, <laughs> except a lot louder and scarier. Um, they were very being- vertical. Yes, I feel like it, if that stadium were being built now, it would it would not be up to code. <laughs> well, it's one of those that's supposed to bounce when things get. Uh, yeah, get it hot. looks cool. Yeah, the Mestalla. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, they were being sued last season over their uh, the bat in their crest. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. That did come up on this show. Uh, Let's see, JJ. All right. So that was uh, the team we're feeling best about. What about the other end of the spectrum? Who was the biggest disappointment to you? I'm presuming you're going to talk about Inter. No, I'm going to talk about, uh, I'm going to talk about Ajax. All right. Well, I'll just, just say that Ajax, you know, leading the group, albeit on goal difference, going into the final game and not being able to get a goal at home is just not Ajax. 
And was this your choice also? No, I, oh, I, oh. I just felt I had to comment on it. it. It was mainly my choice. I couldn't look because they were semi-finalists and really should have been finalists last year, last season. To fall so far. Now, again, it, it, it kind of ties into something I'll talk about later, the black hole of European football. Okay. Um, because they lost, you know, Frankie de Jong. They lost Matthias de Ligt. I know. And they're supposed to, you know, just get on business as usual. Well, let's, well, let's park that for a well, second. Well, no, let's not. We're talking about them. So let's just, let's just talk about them now. Right. I mean, I mean, the idea that you can absorb those losses and then just be the same again. Here's why I disagree with that, though. We're not asking them to be semifinalists again. We're not asking them to win the competition. Yeah, you're asking them we're to get, asking out, of them to get out of the group. And a group that they were, that they were leading. And like, here's the thing. You were right. They lost to Licht. Um, they lost to Young. Those are massive losses. There's no way around it. Look at their team. Like, you can't, like, you and I have talked about Ajax a lot throughout this competition. I'm not going to let you just pull a 180 now that in hindsight we've seen them fall out. We have put a lot of praise on them. I repeatedly. know, but they, they haven't been the same, Andrew. They, they were, they were, they were brittle last season. Don't, don't, they were clearly brittle last season despite the players that they had. Taking those away is only going to make them more brittle. Look at the, look at the reversal to Chelsea at home. I can't accept, they should I cannot accept they sh- what you're saying. Listen, here, just only seven teams of the 32 in the, uh, in the group stage scored more than the 12 goals that they scored. And we're talking about the likes of Bayern, PSG, Real Madrid, yeah, but how many goals City, did they Liverpool. All right. I'm glad you asked. Meanwhile, they only allowed six goals in the group and four were in one game okay. against Chelsea. Once again, only seven teams in the entire group stage allowed fewer. So like they still have Tadic, Van de Beek, Ziyech, Blind, Veltman, Alvarez. They're still loaded. They still have one of the most coveted managers in Europe. Now I didn't look at it. That's, that's shocking to me that it was only six goals in the group. Right. And so like they're up, they were up 4-1 against Chelsea. Yeah. You know, uh, like, I mean, if that's the, if, if we're looking back at a game, it's, it's Chelsea home and away. Well, not just that. I, I identified the moments for them that they will, that will sicken them as look, you're up 4-1 against Chelsea. I know about the double red card. That was, that was a brutal blow. Right. And unfortunately it proved to be a fatal one for them. Um, but there's still some part of me that thinks, you know, change your tactics, find a way. <laughs> I don't know. It's easier said than done, I'm sure, but up 4-1, God. And then yesterday, like, all you need is a point. You're at home yeah. against Valencia, who, like, I just heaped all this praise on. But, like, man for man, I believe Ajax are better than Valencia, and I just can't help but wonder if the weight of the way they went out last year, if there were just, I don't know, nerves, if they're just pressing, We you know, we can't have another disappointment another collapse like what we had a year you ago they've, just they've, they've tightened up a bit maybe uh, well they, I, I they certainly know. didn't flow the same way against valencia anyway they didn't flow the same way that they have at stages in this competition and also throughout last season and you know that whole that whole ix system is you know it's it's based on on being able to to move the ball to have players who are comfortable on the ball to be fluid, to do all those things. And I'll still say that their midfielder, De Young, was so key in all of that. And I'm not, again, I'm, I feel like I'm making excuses for them, and I probably am. But I, I just think it's, it's too hard, first, in the way that they went out, and second, in, in losing those key players. Although I still say that De Ligt, last season, was a player who was still developing, prone to mistakes, and that's followed through this season. But certainly De Young, I don't think they could take that. I guess, but I, I don't know. I still feel like they'll look at this and say we should have gone through. But yeah, 
I mean, I and that's where they're a disappointment. Just a, a word on Inter as well. Um, I know it's Barcelona. And I get that being able to bring one of the best youngsters in Europe, if not the world, off the bench to score another goal and to, to seal a victory is a luxury for a lot of clubs. But Inter were just so limp. That should have been, even if it is Barcelona, and even if, that should have been at best nil-nil going into the final 10 minutes. Like Inter had lots of chances in the first half, couldn't convert or could only convert one, and that was to equalise the game, not to not to go ahead. It was just so limp from them, and we've kind of seen a resurgence of them under Conte. But again, they're out, and it's just... I look back again at the key game to be ahead in the Westfalen Stadium against a team that is, you know, I've used the term before, Britland confidence, and to lose that game. Just can't do it. And... Real disappointment. I thought they would be... If they'd made the round of 16, I would have had them as a as a dark horse. Hmm. Although they shouldn't be that dark of a horse. They should... No. No. They're, they're top of the table right now in Serie A. I know, but they are... This, yeah, Euro, this European a, campaign has been such a... That was a... Now, we did identify that as being a really tough group. Yes. Somebody was not going to make it out of that group, kinda, and we'd be sitting here today saying that was a disappointment. I know, but compare Dortmund's domestic season... To Inter's domestic season, compare the position that Inter found themselves in away from home in Germany. Like those are key moments in in groups, especially when the group is that tight. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Out. Is that that was your choice for biggest disappointment? It was it was a joint choice. Okay. I couldn't pick between the two of them. Gotcha. Uh, let's see. Okay, uh, what was most surprising for you? Shouldn't be surprised. Really shouldn't be. But. Um, as Jonathan Wilson tweeted yesterday, as it stands for the first time ever, only teams from England, Spain, Germany, Italy, and France in the last 16 of the Champions League. Hurrah for the rich lads. The tournament has been slowly but surely moving that way at the behest of Europe, Europe's superpower clubs and, and superpower representation from the biggest leagues. And, and here we are and we finally reached football's event horizon where everything in terms of the top tier Champions League is sucked towards the bigger clubs. Rory Smith wrote this in the New York Times today. It's fine to let the others come along to provide a, a bit of entertainment during the phony war of the group stages, but once the real action starts and the real re- rewards kick in, intruders are hardly encouraged. This is the Champions League as they, the top clubs, envisaged, envisaged, envisaged rather, the Champions League that they have built. Every time UEFA has to put the television rights for its prize competition out to tender. The clubs that drive much of its revenue start to talk in stage whispers about breaking away entirely, of forming their own competition, of keeping all the money. These are the countries that said, all right, you have to make this concession, four teams from the power, from the power leagues. I mean, it's been loaded towards this eventuality. Look at what happened last season. We talked about Ajax. Look where their two crown jewels, De Jong and De Ligt, where do they end up? Mm-hmm. They end up at Juventus, Barcelona. Barcelona. Look today what's happened. And it benefits my club, but I'm not sure how I feel about it. Look at Minamino on his way to Liverpool in January. He doesn't even get, Jesse March doesn't even get a full season with him to challenge in the Europa League. This is the, this is what Professor Brian Cox talks about in terms of the black hole. If you fall in across the event horizon of a black hole, you are going to the middle, the singularity, it's called. So that's that's your future. Every every line of your future points 
to the center of the black hole. So it's kind of the ultimate of no escape, the ultimate prison. You're going to get squashed to an infinitely dense so point. No, that's from the Joe Rogan podcast. Joe Rogan podcast. This is, we are, we are heading towards the singular. So and I read on Yahoo today an article written yesterday about further talks amongst the Juventuses of this world and the Barcelonas and the Real Madrids about making a rule or trying to introduce a rule into the current form of the Champions League that they would never, that there are select teams that will always be there, that will be permanent residents. This is football's event horizon we are heading if we are not already at the singular. Well, I hope we don't and by reach way, what you're referring to because I, sports has to be the ultimate meritocracy. Things can't just be handed yes. to clubs. Now, the only thing I would say to that is... And why am I surprised by this? Yeah. Why? Why? <laughs> like, hasn't it's still let, when the this tweet, has been the case? Like, no. you you can talk about guys like like you know clubs not like maybe it's surprising that not a single club uh, from one of the other lower leagues wasn't able to get through it, and that is a little bit frightening. But you're talking about things like Liverpool now want, being in on Minamino, like duh. Yeah, like, but this is this has been I know a, a generation. I of this. absolutely, and and we've slept on it. We have. Now, no, no, no. I think we've just, I don't think we've slept on it. I think it's just accepted fact. But we have, but in Rory Smith's piece, he points out, we have four entrants in the, in the English Premier League. How many winners have we had since in the last 20 years? You know, we've had a, we've had a handful compared to the, compared to the, the, the amount that I suppose the interest and both the amount of money or sorry, the amount of influence that English football has. I'd say the last decade is better, is a better way to look at it. You know, English clubs should be doing way better than they are, really. But they're not. Well, yeah, but the competition like has been dominated by Real Madrid and Bar- to a certain extent Barcelona. To a certain extent Barcelona as well, yeah. But like, that's, that's not surprising either. Look, the clubs are, they, basically what happened yesterday is going to be a, a way for the rich clubs to to go to UEFA and say, "Hey, look, look what's happening." We're so basically, what I'm hearing from you is, if you are a soccer purist like you purport to be, I don't purport to be. I you just, are. I just like fairness. Then it sounds like you will begin to gravitate interest-wise towards the Europa League. Mm, no, I think. Well, I've said the Europa League is probably. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's what happens over the years. No. That's just not what's going to happen. Well, I actually think there will eventually be some kind of a breakaway. It's quite, I mean, it, it has the potential to, to wrench UEFA from, from, from its roots. A breakaway the meaning what? The, what you're the, talking the, about? The, lower, the, the Super League? The, clo- the other, the, the Dutch, the Belgian leagues, they're not going to go on and, and accept a new reality where, they, where the door is closed on them. So something else may happen. There was for a long time mooted like a North kind of a a northern league amongst the Scandinavian teams as well. I mean, 1996, look at Rosenberg and how far they went. That, that won't happen now and hasn't happened since. That there would be a merger of like the Scottish Scandinavian teams, maybe some of the Benelux countries as well would, would enter teams. But what what will that change? No, they would they would go on their own. If they're pushed out, they won't continue to... to that, this, but how does that this benefit is how I see it. That doesn't benefit they pool, them either. They pool their own resources, have their own league amongst themselves. Of course it does. It's going to be... What I see it being is like a balkanized 
we're, we're talking about, you know, that extra competition. But these teams, they, they can complain about it all they want, but ultimately they want to be playing in this competition. They but, want to test the themselves against is, the best. They don't want to create their own offshoot league they don't. of Scotland, Norway, and Finland. They don't, but it's happening. They're not getting the opportunities. That's but, the well, point. Well, define opportunities. They're in the competition. I would say they're not getting opportunities if we suddenly limited... If we said, like, oh, well, the, the winner of the Austrian League just isn't good enough, so you go to the Europa Andrew, League. they can't cope. They can't cope money-wise against the big leagues, and now they can't cope structurally because the big leagues are allowed to have so many entrants as well. This is just all pushed towards uh, the Super League, what's going to happen anyway. And it's not UEFA don't want this, by the way. I don't believe UEFA want this. But, the, I mean, the, those with money call the tune, and that's what's happening. I wonder if it pushes instead to a, well, I was going to say an expanded Champions League. Um, look, look at the competition of that, like 48 clubs. Look at the competition that UEFA have come up with, which I've already forgotten about, which is going to be a third competition, third European competition, back to what we already had. That, that is a, an effort to placate the smaller nations. That's all that is. Uh, let's see. Uh, for me, I went with one of these smaller clubs for my biggest surprise and, uh, that is Red Bull Salzburg, who you've kind of referenced a little bit, just because I know they didn't make it through, but like, how are they a surprise? Well, because when this tournament started, who was Erling Holland? You know, who was Takumi Minamino? Hell, who was Jesse Marsh? Right. To but, those who aren't, but American. if you were backing, if you were backing a team to progress, uh, a small team from a small league to progress or to do well, we'll say. In the Champions League, it would be one that's the massive sporting conglomerate that is that is Leipzig, Salzburg. I mean, New maybe York. I don't know if I if, if resource wise Salzburg. It, like, what have what have they done before in in this competition? Like, they wouldn't have been my pick. Like, who were these guys? Now Minamino looks like he's going to Liverpool. Haaland actually visited with Leipzig and Borussia Dortmund yesterday in the wake of a possible move to one of those clubs in January. Also being talked about. With Manchester United, that would be a, prom- um, a promotion if he, if he goes to, to Leipzig. Yeah, yeah, a feeder club. Um, there were reportedly scouts from forty different clubs in Salzburg this past Tuesday to watch that game. Um, so, look, like I said, they didn't make it out of the group, but they certainly caught the attention. I would say of anyone who watched them play, two tense losses uh, to the reigning European champions, including that memorable four-three. Um, ah, they've been very, it, very good. They really have. A draw at Napoli. They demolished Gank twice, which, like, you know, I know it's Gank, but, like, if you're crushing that team, it shows that you're in a, a different tier. You're not one of the, the bottom feeder clubs that we were kind of just talking about. One thing that people do need to remember with um, Minamino, with Holland, if these guys do leave, like, the January transfer window suddenly just got a lot more interesting because the rule no longer exists that these guys are cup to Like, like if, uh, if Minamino goes to Liverpool... He will be immediately eligible to play for Liverpool in the Champions That's League. That's right. Like, remember how this affected, uh, Barcelona when they brought in Coutinho? Well, it's open season, well, not quite open season. You can register three new players now from your original Champions League squad. And so they, and they can be three new signings, even if they've come, like you said, from a team that's already been in the Champions League. Yeah. And look. Not just in the Champions League, Minamino was just playing against Liverpool. Fine, exactly. And by the way, this is the way it should be. I, I do feel that this is right. Hmm. It felt very awkward. I'm not to me sure. That, so Barcelona go out and spend this money on Coutinho and can't, and like he's a big part of their team and he can't play like, in, uh, like in and, the Champions League. But but so so what? What like, do you mean so what? That, like that's a what do you mean? That's an important part of Barcelona's team that now in the like the most prestigious club competition there is he can't be he, he can't play because I'm, of like a technicality essentially. It's not. But it's it's it, it, I'm sure. 
the technicality was there for a reason in the past. You know, what? What would the reason be? Probably to protect smaller teams that they wouldn't have their players poaching. They could continue their seasons in the fashion that they had planned to do, which is what I was saying about about uh, Salzburg. Well, then, now, I, yeah. don't, I don't have the same amount of sympathy I would have for a Salzburg as I would for an Orby Salzburg as I would for another smaller team that's been going to be uh, robbed of their talent and it's taken somewhere else. That, that You know, that does affect Jesse Marsh's plans. What, losing? Yeah, well, what if he yeah. loses Wang as well? Haaland. <laughs> I mean, he's gutted in January. How is this fair? That's probably why the rule was there. Uh, let's see. Last one here. Any bold prediction you want to make for the knockout stage? This is, I really don't have anything groundbreaking, except I have a, I suppose this would be groundbreaking if it came to pass. I just feel like Juventus will make an early exit. I, mm. I, I, it's a feeling in my gut. I have been, the reports have subsided somewhat of how Sarri doesn't get on with Ronaldo or there's issues there. Um, they're second, but not a, it's not a insurmountable second in in Syria. No, two points in Syria. Ah, I just have a feeling. I just have a feeling if if a big big side's to go out, like I mean a top tier side, it's them. All right, but it's ba- it's based on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, none of this. Like I, I even wrote here, like you ever just get a feeling about something without really being able to <laughs> understand why. Like yeah. that's kind of how I feel too. Um, JJ, I know their form has been inconsistent at best, kind of, but to me, there's something about Atletico Madrid surviving the group stage that is just interesting to me. Um, I know a lot, I was reading, a lot's been made of this goalless streak that they had been on. Um, they had gone mm. matches against Juventus, Barcelona, and Villarreal without scoring a goal. In the end, um, yeah, no goals over the course of those three games. But here's the thing, though, that like is important to note. They had taken 64 shots total between their last goal and their first goal that they scored yesterday against Locomotive. That includes a missed penalty also by Kieran Trippier. Like, if they weren't getting any opportunities, I would say, yeah, there's something really wrong here. But, like, we talked about it. Anybody that watched the Barcelona-Atletico Madrid game, like, Atletico could have easily won that game. They were probably the better team. So, I don't know. I, I'm somebody, like, we've talked about it with Arsenal. Um, this, like, reversion to the mean. You know, I feel like that is something that could happen with Atletico Madrid. It wasn't going to be easy for them in the first half of the season after having lost Griezmann. And then on top of that, Diego Costa suffering that injury that's knocked him out maybe for the season. We, we still don't know when he'll be back. Some people say it could be March, could be February, could be April, could be done for the year. So I don't even know if they can factor him in. But like... Losing those two pieces from their attack was always going to be hard for them to do. So the fact that they survived this patch, got through the group, I feel like now a weight has kind of been lifted. Okay, now we can. there's time for them to regroup. They can continue to gel. And look, if they hit a patch where, like, Zhao Felix is in good form, mm. um, you know, they still have, like, I was reading also the stats. I didn't get to see the game, but Tomas Partey's statistics in the midfield yesterday for Atletico Madrid, he was sensational. Um, you know, that, we're not even talking about like Coke, Saul. I know. So there's, I feel like there's still a lot there. And, you know, it's Simeone who is Champions League tested and proven. So if we're going to have to make a bold prediction here for the knockout stage, I'll say, screw it. I'll say Atletico Madrid are going to get to the semifinals. The semifinals. That's bold, right? It's kind of bold. <laughs> I want, I wanted you, you to, want to say they're going to win the whole thing. No, I, don't believe no, that. I can well, only, I can only tell you what's in my heart. Considering they're, they're, they're looking finals. I was, but go- I'm saying Atletico, they're sixth right now in La Liga and people are talking about them like they're just, you know, 
that they're just unable to recover from having lost Griezmann. They're not the same club. Maybe flying under the radar, being a little more, a little less noticeable helps them this time round because we noticed them when they were in the finals, those finals that they lost, and maybe now they, they limp to a final and they finally get it done. Semi-finals. Semi-finals. That's bold. Okay. True boldness. Uh, so that's about all I have for uh, the Champions League yeah, group stage. I don't know if there's anything specific from some of the games that you wanted to actually get into um, before we take a break. I suppose uh, everybody reverted online. Not everybody, but lots of people reverted online to to a bit of a bit of Salah hate until he scored that goal. He missed chances. Particularly the one I think it was Mane or Keita slid him in with a lovely pass and he's just completely lifted it over the bar. The kind of one you expect a top, top tier finisher to take. And, <laughs> you know, I was already fielding tweets about this is, a, this is what he used to do. One guy was saying this is what he used to do at Roma, which is kind of unfair, different team, a different position too. And what then, is and it then, about and then, him and then that- he scores this goal where, all right, Bad defensive, attempted defensive header that puts him kind of gives him a head start on the defender. His pace, he flies past the goalkeeper. Andrew, he's at full speed at the wrong angle and he curls it in with his right foot, the inside of his right foot. He wasn't even really looking at the net. Wasn't even. His body shape, in fact, his torso, if you look at it, was towards almost at an angle towards the corner flag or closer to the corner flag. And he just bends his body or contorts himself to score. And it's just this brilliant finish. And that's it. That's what he does. That's what he's capable of. Yeah. And his, his goal scoring pelt, the rate of goal scorers, goal scoring that he's doing right now is just unbelievable. Andy Cole, they used to say, had to, had to miss three to score one. All right. He's <laughs> one of the great goal scorers of all time in the league. Yeah. And he had a pretty good European record too. I'll take yeah. that. Yeah. No, Salah, I don't know. He's one of those guys. Like I would say, what is it with the fans? Like, why can't? But like, sometimes I wonder. Like, we've seen Sadio Mane get mad at Salah, yeah. so it's. But I, I won't just put it on the fan base for feeling that way because some of his own teammates get frustrated with him. But this time last year, you were saying to me, and I was agreeing with you. What game was it that we saw where Sadio Mane, he's, Liverpool are one 0 up, and then they're going for a second, and he hits it straight at the goalkeeper, and and then he hits another one straight over the bar, mm-hmm. and you were like saying, "Oh, why doesn't he just pass the ball as well?" We've had when you are a striker. Yes, I think that. That happens, and that frustration is felt by everybody, but you just got to look at the bigger picture. Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite? I guess the last question I would ask you, heading into uh, the knockout stage. This tournament feels open to me. It, do- really, it, it really does. It does feel open. Uh, I, I still think Liverpool... You know, I wanted to write this in my notes, but I didn't really have a place to put it in, but I'll put it in here. I do think for all their flaws, if Pep can just relax steady and focus I really do believe the Champions League is is a cup competition over two legs it's he's got the players Gabriel Jesus might be about to enter a bit of form it's hard to gauge against Dinamo Zagreb it's also hard to gauge what form he'll be in in February right but I like I like well what's promising for them is that City can do this and by the way Laporte will be back by the way, we talk. We'll, let's talk about the the big money teams. PSG as well should be feeling good. Yeah, I was going to talk about serious them. depth in their team, <laughs> especially serious up front. Depth. Yeah, I mean, look, the fact that they 
were able to do twice to Real Madrid what they did. What was it, a 3-0 win and then uh, the 2-2 draw where they came back from two goals down and maybe they were outplayed in that game, but still, they went to the Bernabeu and they were able to get that result after having beaten Madrid. But it is. I have fallen sucker to them for two years. <laughs> I was I was very bullish on PSG, especially last year. Um, I'm not. I'm gonna I'm gonna need them to prove me wrong before I get back on but board. Andrew, look at the you gener- and I have completely switched roles. No. What is going on? You would always mock me for getting on board with PSG. Andrew, look at the generosity of Neymar handing that ball to Cavani. Eddie needed one said the Brazilian maestro. Such generosity of spirit, such a detente in their in their ire for each other. Yeah, maybe the discontent is now coming from a different, more unlikely source at PSG, which I, I want to mention later. Oh, okay, well, let's hold off on that. Yeah, but it's just funny to hear you saying this stuff about PSG when I had always been the one that was so like I, in on them. I don't like them. I know you don't, because okay. to you they represent everything that's everything wrong with the modern game. yeah. But that doesn't mean that they, from a footballing perspective, they've got a good coach and yeah. they've got uh, very good players. Just, if they can keep them all happy. This time around, I'm just going to have to, they're just going to have to do it for me to believe that they can do it. I believe when we get to the final in May. They'll be there? Wandanara will be there. Hmm. Supporting. Crying her eyes out. <laughs> supporting her man slash client. Let's take a quick break. Um, we've got what to watch for. Red cards, man of the match. And, uh, you have a question. Uh, we weren't going to do an official mailbag this week, but you have something that needs to be addressed. Relating about. to the Scorsese vehicle, the Irish. Oh, good. Cause I have something else I want to bring up about that too. Perfect. All right. We'll be right back. Oh, back now on. Caught offside. Uh, let's see what to watch for. Should we do that? Sure, why not? Let's do that. Um, I only got three here, and they're all from England, as we tend to do. I didn't really put Europa League stuff in here because that's happening. Um, like I feel bad. We haven't really addressed Arsenal recently because we've done Monday podcasts and they've been playing on Mondays. And like uh, yeah. today, they you know once again like they have a Thursday Europa League match, which is actually kind of important. But we can't really talk about it because it will have happened by the time you listen to this. But anyway, Sunday nine a.m. Wolves and Spurs. JJ, um, I meant to say this before when we were talking about the, the Champions League. Jorge Mendes for, um, derby. <laughs> I meant Mourinho to- represented yeah. by Mendes. Oh, that's right. I actually didn't put the two together. Wolves are not represented by Mendes. They have nothing. He just helped them out once. <laughs> um, I meant to say this before. Uh, I really enjoyed seeing Ryan Sessegnon score that goal against Bayern Munich. I know Tottenham were pretty poor against Bayern yeah, aside from bad. that moment. Um, Bones to pick about that. But uh, Bones to pick about that. About what? I want to see Troy Parrott make his Champions League debut. Oh. He did not. No. No. That would have been the first Irishman since... Oh, God, I can't even remember the last time we had a player in the Champions League. Might be Killian Sheridan at one of his Greek clubs or um, Cypriot clubs. But anyway. Yeah. But uh, youngest player for Tottenham to score in the Champions League. They used him really in an attacking role. And I don't know if that's going to be where he plays. That's where he originated, wasn't it? Well, I thought he originated as a fullback. And then, like, Gareth Bale was originally a fullback. And, and, like, then his talents just kind of moved him up, up, up. And Sessegnon had that. Yeah, he was a wingback, essentially. Although more of an attacking-sided. Yeah. So, But Tottenham had him in, in, like, they were playing, like, a... I guess it was kind of a four-two-three-one, mm. and he was on the left in the three behind the 
attacker. Right. Um, okay. Behind the striker, which is usually a, a role occupied by Sun. Uh, so, like, I don't know what his opportunities are going to be, but seeing the way he scored that goal, the way, like, how calm he was on the finish, it's nice to know that they, that they have that, that he has that in him. I sometimes wish, like, Tottenham are so weak at fullback. Like, just be a fullback, man. You'll play so much more. Yeah. Like, the way Danny Rose got roasted on one of those goals, and then Danny Rose is talking yesterday about how he's just going to let his contract go all the way down and then decide where like what he wants to do like there's no negotiating with him i don't even know if spurs would want to but um yeah i don't know that position is just kind of a mess for them right now uh by the way i did mention the europa league it's worth noting with wolves they're actually already through um to the knockout stage so they have the the chance to rest guys midweek in the lead-up to a pretty big game for them at home against Tottenham. It's all worked out for them, hasn't it, really? Yeah. Because considering there was a lot of panic and anguish in September when results really weren't going their way in the league, they were in the lower part of the table, and just with that mush above them, it was easy to climb up and, and get where they should or where they they should really be. They should. They really should. I don't think last year was a fluke. No. Especially because they retained everyone. Uh, let's see, Sunday, also at 9 a.m., Manchester United and Everton. As Duncan Ferguson the continues. Dun- the dunk. Yeah, and this is the kind of game oh, he would have relished as a player. He seems like a more polite, kind soul than I... You said this last week. Yeah, and I, I keep... Because it's not the perception. You must have really had, a, you had gotta it out re- for him. Yeah, oh, no, you got to remember what he was like when he played in the 90s. This was, <laughs> he was quite the man. El- all elbows and angles. He was a classic old-school British centre-forward. And, um, yeah, it's. Uh, I wonder if they get a result there, if things go their way, if confidence is up, does this become, again, another situation where it's, well, you know, Duncan. No, no, JJ, they have to sign Unai Emery. Which Apparently is, they're still talking with him. I don't know, man. Like I said, his stock has fallen so much during that time at Arsenal. I'm wondering, do Everton want a good evening? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know either. This match is interesting to me just because Manchester United are finally in this moment where it seems like they're starting to get some respect. When that has not really been the case, well, for, you've been banging their drum for the respect for two drum. weeks, for a couple of weeks, uh, and like I wonder how they'll cope with that. You know, like the world has kind of been against United, and I, now here they are. Everyone's like people was, are starting to, to climb aboard, and I wonder now they've got Everton, who are in the midst of a new manager bounce, presumably, and uh, could this be a possible slip up moment for Manchester United? Yeah, I, I'm still of the opinion. I look at I, look, I do look at the two goals that they scored. Those two goals at Bramall Lane, where their young players combined, they were just brilliant goals. And I think Manchester United be might be in the position where they have got some really good young talent. But I am not convinced about this manager whatsoever. And then Sunday, eleven thirty a.m. Eastern Time, Arsenal and Manchester City. And one thing we didn't mention before, JJ, is that. Napoli fired Carlo Ancelotti right after winning 4-0 and yes. advancing in the Champions League. But they fired him. Their domestic season has been really disappointing uh, for you know however close they've been the past few years. I think maybe they hoped that this was the moment now where we bring in a manager like that who can provide a finishing touch. Hasn't worked that way. He's gone. And so immediately uh, his name is being thrown around with Arsenal. And I get why that connection is being made. 
for whatever moment in time they're in, Arsenal are still viewed as a a big club worldwide. And Ancelotti, like it makes sense that he would go to a club like that that has an opening at that position. But I just like yes, they're a big club, but they're but right now they're not. Let's be honest. That's not my reason why I don't think Ancelotti will have the job. Well, I'm saying because Ancelotti is somebody who, like I said with Napoli, he goes in to provide the finishing touch. He's right. not he's not the guy to me that you bring in when you are embarking on some kind of project or rebuild. I said they need long term strategy and overhaul, not medium term maintenance. Right. I think I think it'd be a disaster. Uh, I think it was Gab Marcotti, our Rafa Honigstein, said yesterday on Twitter his training sessions are very lax too. They're much more relaxed, low tempo. That's not going to work in the Premier League. No, but I could so picture Mesut Ozil just like loving it, basking in that. Yeah, which I, may not be fair. He might be a hard worker, but he just has this face that screams, you know, I don't really want to run that hard. <laughs> and, and look. The league is much more than, you know, go, 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 run, run, run. But there's a lot of it in that. You know, you've got to, you've got to have that intensity. And if you don't, I, I firmly believe if you don't train that way during the week, you won't have it on a Saturday or a Sunday. Yeah. It does make me wonder where will he go, Carlo Ancelotti? I don't know. If I was him, I'd just relax for a bit. I, you know, allow that eyebrow to rest, to come down a little bit, get a suntan, get a suntan, relax. He's made a lot of money. He's had the biggest jobs in Europe the last few years. Just take some time out. That's what I would do. Okay. Uh, but yeah, big one for Arsenal uh, against Manchester City. That one at the Emirates. Look at me d- dispensing life advice to Carlo Ancelotti. Uh, let's see. So you said you have a, a random mailbag question that you want to get in. Yes, I do. Uh, this is from uh, Colby, who is a friend of mine oh. from the Monroe. And he says, Dear Chicken Mosala. Wait, what is the Monroe? What does that mean? Monroe Pub. Oh, the from Liver- a bar. He's from the Monroe. The li- <laughs> the, yeah, that's what I say. The Liverpool bar. Does that is that weird oh. that I say that? And uh, so basically, we had a potluck for charity at the weekend. So he was trying to think of food related Liverpool players. Two of, two of his best were Divock Pierogi and Chicken Mosala. Hmm. So uh, he had this question, and and I think he's right to ask. I heard a mutual friend mention I had a beef with you on Saturday. It's true. Rough recreation of last week's cut offside. Yeah, I saw The Irishman twice in the theater and I read the book. The craziest part of the book didn't even make the movie. And end of podcast. You can't just leave everyone hanging like that. I can't be expected to read an entire book to learn something like that. Great point. Yep. So, I made reference to it. Uh, Basically, Frank Sheeran says a lot of things in the book that we see in the film. He makes a lot of connections, including that he assassinated um, Crazy Joe Gallo. He also says in the book that he has a strong feeling that he delivered the rifles that were involved, or one of the rifles that was involved in the assassination of JFK. That's massive. Uh, yeah. He he drove to a restaurant. I will not say the name of the restaurant, although they are no longer a mob hangout. The restaurant is still open in Guanas in Brooklyn. He drove there, picked up weapons. It was a Genovese hangout. Picked up the two weapons. He didn't know that there were weapons. He pretty much knew there were weapons. He drove to Baltimore. He met a man who was named in the Warren report, the investigation into the assassination of JFK, delivered the rifles. Say the name of the guy. I can't remember. Wasn't it David uh, Faraday? I think David uh, Joe Pesci's character from the movie JFK. Yes, I think it was. Was it David 
I thought that's what you told me when we, when we talked about this after the podcast ended. Yeah, uh, yes, that, the other day. I'm pretty sure that's who it was. I'd have to go back and check. But, okay. But, well, maybe we're wrong, but I thought that's what you had said. Right. That. And um, he names this character. He's named in the Warren Report. He also talks about conversations he had with mob members and members of the Teamsters Union about the president might get kissed, meaning the president might be taken out. Talks about how it made more sense to cut off the head because... It wasn't really JFK that was the problem. It was Bobby as Attorney General. But they said there's no point getting him. If you want to make a point, you get rid of the president and Bobby Kennedy becomes just another lawyer. All these conversations were had, right? Now, Scorsese said, because, I mean, the book is very... (laughs) Sheeran doesn't admit actually to anything because he could have been arrested that moment or the minute the book was published. Uh But he intimates he had a part in all of this. This is the one thing where he is curious, is suggesting. Is it not worth saying that in the movie? Is it not worth alluding to that rather than just using that killer line that's attributed to Hoffa? Bobby's now ju- uh, Bobby's just another lawyer now? Just another attorney now? Ooh. Should they not have pieced that? It chilled me to the bone. By the way, read the book, went straight to that restaurant, former Genevieve. Oh, did you out. really? Good yep, for you. Had a big bowl of pasta. Nice. Yeah, the thing I was going to say about it, I want to stand up. Not that I'm, uh, I had a bowl of pasta because I'm obsessed with this, you know, period of well, history. It's an Italian restaurant. Yeah, yeah, right? I'm not going to be in some kind of celebratory mode about JFK. I just no. want to make that clear. Just want to make that clear. Yeah, I hope we haven't, like, I feel like now we're going to be monitored now. Uh, everyone listen, the fact that we're even talking about the JFK assassination, I feel like. I just uh, thought Scorsese could have. Our phones are going to be bugged. Are you... Everyone listening, should something happen to JJ and I, just know it was murder. That's just out there now. Wow. I want people to know. People can be ready to, 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 you know, proclaim the truth should something befall us. There will be subreddits about what happened to us. Real quick, though, uh, I just want to defend millennials for a sec with regards to uh, the movie The Irishman because all the time we hear about the millennial generation, oh, they don't have time for anything. They can't sit still. They're always on their phone. They're always doing this, doing that. They can't just sit still and enjoy life. JJ, the movie's three and a half hours, and all the complaints that I hear about the movie being that long are from people who are age 50 and older. Like, yeah. uh, millennials, I feel like, are watching the movie and are cool with it, but, like, all the complaining about, I don't have time for that. I can't sit for three and a half hours to watch a movie. Like, uh, I don't know. Sometimes, and I'm, you and I are barely millennials. I think it started in 82. early 80s. And like you and I are, are just right on the edge. The cut. Yeah, yeah. So technically we are, um, even though I don't always identify with all of it, but I, I do feel that millennials as a generation take a lot of heat, uh, for stuff that are, are like problems for everyone that, you know, people just put on millennials. I so guarantee I you there that. was tons of boomers. Who fell asleep during it, you know, and that's, they're yeah. closer to that era than we were. So, uh, yeah, know. absolutely. By the way, it was David Ferry. Okay, uh, good. Mentioned in the war. Oh, uh, Fer- yeah, David Ferrity is a former golf, he's <laughs> like a golfer and, <laughs> yeah, F- David Ferry. It was right. Ferrity on the fourth hole, <laughs> close to the grassy knoll. He was in the rough with a nine iron. We have to continue talking soccer because I, I don't sorry, know sorry, if people right. hate this or if, if we're losing people, if they love it. I don't know. Red card. So I'll just do that. Um, I'm going to go quickly here, JJ. I'm reading now from Stars and Stripes, the blog about U.S. soccer. Uh, just as it seemed like the U.S. player pool abroad was getting healthy as Tyler Adams returned, another American is set to be sidelined. The Bundesliga English language site is reporting that Josh Sargent suffered a tear 
in a small muscle during uh, Werder Bremen's recent match against Wolfsburg. Ugh. MLSsoccer.com notes that the injury actually occurred during the team's win over Cuba uh, in November, and it's in his hamstring. Um, oh, no. So, look, long term, I mean, he'll come back, he'll be all sure. right. But it's just, I don't know, he was progressing. Like, he's starting to kind of become a regular first-team player for them. He's got two goals, two assists so far in uh, 11 Bundesliga appearances, and you just you don't want anything to get in the way. Like, I worry about Tyler Adams. I hope he comes back, and I hope, and I hope that he's I hope, totally fine. Yeah. But, like, I don't know if guys can lose their place. Like, you just, you just don't want anything to interrupt that kind of flow. Um, my other red card that I was considering but I wound up not going with, I'll just mention quickly, uh, and I alluded to it a little bit before, and it was Kylian Mbappe and whatever it is that's going on with him right now at PSG. Uh, it's a little bit worrisome to me. He was substituted out over the weekend in the 78th minute in Liga, and he was clearly not happy about it. Then, in the Champions League, in a game that did not matter for PSG, he played and was subbed out in the 90th minute by Thomas Tuchel and was, once again, clearly not happy with it. And Tuchel tried to, it seemed like, explain himself, and Mbappe was just having none of it. And I don't know. I don't, like... Killian, Killian is not too hard to manage, Tuchel said. However, yes, he does have a special mentality. That is normal with his state of mind, his ambitions and titles. He always wants to win and he never likes to leave the pitch. Killian must accept these are my decisions, though. He has yeah. to show respect to the player coming on in his place. I did not take his reaction personally. He was disappointed, but it was forgotten after a few moments because of his respect for Eric Maxime and me. It was no big deal. You kind of made it a big deal. Though, well, it, 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 ultimately, it probably is no big deal. Like, I understand a guy who loves playing and just like, you know, like Alan Iverson, when he was a sixer, every time Larry Brown took him out, he was furious. <laughs> like He was a special case. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I don't know. There was just something about the, the sight of it, like this young kid. And I just don't you sometimes wonder if being exposed to some of the like the negatives of Neymar could have a rubbing off effect on Mbappe. And if that's like if Tuchel maybe also knows that and is trying to be maybe extra hard on Mbappe to try to ward some of that off. I'm not going to pin this on Neymar, although you might be right. You might have a point, but generally players when they're being taken off and they But he was taken off in the 90th minute right. of a game that didn't matter right. in a game that had been decided. It's on un- it's unnecessary petulance. It is. And like some people want to say it's unnecessary from Tuchel just I'll just let him stay on well, and finish no, the game. No, that's not the point. Exactly. He's the manager, he calls the tune. But not just that. So in a game that doesn't matter and PSG have gone through all of this nonsense the past few years where they can't win Champions Leagues because key players get hurt for them at the wrong time. They've made it 90 minutes. What if what if needlessly Mbappe pulls up with some injury in the last four minutes of stoppage time and now he's out? Like Tuchel got to the 90th and said, you know what? I don't need a situation here. Let me just get this guy out of here before some, like, and he doesn't have to explain himself, like he said, but like, I don't know, just something about seeing Mbappe like all in a huff over a, a like a nothing substitution. It's not like you were taken off at halftime. I don't know. Just, it just kind of didn't sit well with you me. Just have to keep an eye on it, I guess. Yeah. Uh, what do you have? Eh, you won't like this. Uh, this is from the BBC this week. A lot of people are going to be switching off. More JJ negativity, but the championship is a bubble waiting to burst because clubs are posting record losses in a gamble to reach the Premier League. Former Wigan chairman David Sharp, who sold the club in 2018, said the situation is frightening. Following a BBC Radio 5 Live investigation unit analysis of the championship's finances, despite the league also bringing in its highest ever revenue of £749 million sterling, 
Overall spending on player and staff wages exceeded the club's revenue by 11%. More than half of clubs are spending more on wages than they make in income. Many teams are recording significant losses over one or two seasons in an attempt to gain promotion to the Premier League. The Championship is not financially sustainable. It's a bubble waiting to burst, Sharp said. It can't continue if the model is just having enough billionaire owners to keep funding it. That's a strange, crazy model because there are only so many people you can attract. Sharp, who took over uh, Wigan from grandfather Dave Whelan in 2015, said the family were putting in, wait for this figure, nearly one million a month just to keep it going. million a month. Despite having the fourth lowest wage bill in the championship. Those figures are... I mean, we're going to see... We're going to see championship teams going to the wall very, very soon, as we've seen League One teams, if it, if it, if it continues like this. And it's all because of the interest and the money. Desperation. The of, desperation yeah. to get a slice of the Premier League action. And that is the... That is the knock-on effect of what we have now with the TV money and, and uh, the Premier League. And that's why, as much as we love we love English football, I think that's the honest statement. But you can't love the idea that, that some of these teams, historic teams, are, are going to go to the wall. Yeah. I'd like to know why you started that by saying, I won't like this. No, not you, just people in general. Because I feel like I've been negative about the Champions League. I'm, when you're negative about things people enjoy, their pastimes, yeah, they, they because you, you go a bit deeper... They either tune you out or they react. I've heard that from people. They've, uh, they've had it with you, and also quite with, frankly. with an American audience as well who are very much used of the complete free market capitalism of the NFL and the NBA. They're like, just, it is what it is. Move on with your life. And I can't. Caught offside's man of the match. He really can't. He is relentless. Trust me. Uh, let's see. My man of the match, JJ, I uh, went with Carlos Vela. Uh, rumor out there that he's receiving interest from Barcelona. Wow. I, uh, I wasn't sure what to... Reports from Spain are that well, that's not true. Well, that you're right. However... It would be a weird move. But where this report came from is unusual. Because um, it came from Jonathan Dos Santos, who said this um, in an interview. He said, it's true that he, Vela, has that offer on the table. And I honestly don't know what he's going to do. It's a unique opportunity, the fact what? that Barcelona want him. Yeah. <laughs> Jonathan Dos Santos said that. Um and they want me too. Did he add that? <laughs> it's a package deal. Uh, yeah. So now ESPN, like you said, they reached out to Barcelona and they denied it, which isn't necessarily surprising. No. I don't know, like, who's to believe, but it even just got me thinking, like, if you're Vela, you got to do it. Now of they're course. saying that it would just be a temporary loan move. Of course. Um, but the reason that I like this so much is because of my American insecurities. Um, this is, which, a, this is a Sally Field moment. Yeah, no, it, it's yet another. Yeah, you're right. You like, you like us, like that's that is what I gather from how MLS is now being viewed globally. <laughs> okay. Look, we're not that far removed. You know this because you have not always been here. We are not that far removed from when the best player in MLS was viewed globally as yeah, but it's MLS. Like that was always the prevailing thought yeah, about MLS's best player. That's still, what's been said about. When Rooney came and, and played so well, and when Vea had two back-to-back great seasons. Well, apparently it's not. If Barcelona saw that and thought, we we need that guy. I'm just speaking for... For who? Fans in Europe. That that, would be, that would be their perception. Oh, oh, hearing you talk this way, God, I hope this is true and it happens. And he's just awesome. I think it would be brilliant. No, you, I'm not going to let you play both sides of this. And you, you know what? It would be such a circuitous route 
back to a top club for him, wouldn't it? Well, look at yes. Look, it didn't work like, out at Arsenal. Ended up have, had some great seasons in Spain, but not with big sides. No, Sociedad. Right. Yeah. And then uh, via LAFC, he gets the move he would have dreamt of. Oh, please, wow. please let it be. Please let it be. The other one that I was going to mention but didn't put in that I, I probably should have. Uh, JJ, congratulations to the U.S. women's soccer team because they were named by Time Magazine as the uh, athletes of the year. Athlete of the year. Well. Collective. Uh, but there's a lot of them. So I'm going to say athletes. Okay. Because it feels weird. And it makes more sense. Yeah. Uh, your thoughts on that? I, I, I like the choice. I think it's... Uh, for for they, time? I mean, if you add in everything that they achieved and also the conversations... Well, I think it's more... It's Right. It's not only what they achieved, but it's also kind of what they represent. Yes. Then absolutely. They're, you know, they're incredible at what they do, and they're also brash in a moment in time when I think that's something to kind of be admired in the women's game. Also, they're Americans achieving and representing certain values at a moment in time when a lot of the world is not on the same page necessarily. That's true. Yeah, they yeah. gave a, a different image of America to the world. So that's a fact, and I'm, I'm sure that's been factored in but one that, decision. But you say a different image, but like one that was not universally beloved. This team no. was... Panned makes by you, much makes you, of the makes world. You wonder we can't win. <laughs> it doesn't matter what we do. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, they were they were panned. Yeah, because how dare but, they celebrate after scoring goals in the World Cup? Some of it. Oh. Was, look, American teams have always, especially American sports teams, from the prism of the NFL and NBA, brash, loud, extravagant. They were all these things, all these things. But and a key component of this that I'm convinced of, they were women. That makes a huge difference. That mm -hmm. triggers a lot of people who can't handle that fact. Yep. Good for them. I was yeah, and, um, pumped to see that. Christian Pulisic was named U.S. Men's National Team Player of the Year, which it's a bit more controversial, really. I mean, he is by far and away the best player. Mm -hmm. But is this based on, if not him, who? Everything he's done at Chelsea, right? Well, it's based on that. And everything he's done for the U.S. So you're right. If it was just... It, it could, you're right. He didn't have, like, his first part of 2019 with Borussia Dortmund was essentially nothing but US uh, no, soccer... I think he finished the season strong you know, uh, that's the true he had games. like a nice sending off yeah and then um, and then he's had I a... don't mean a red card I mean like Borussia Dortmund saying goodbye no we got that you. game and he had a nice run in the fall for Chelsea so far it's been very good so yeah fine I suppose uh, but if it was just based on national team appearances surely Jordan Mars would be in the run and surely even but it's not based just on that no all right. We should also mention here that Michael Bradley received the contract extension with Toronto FC. Money. Not, not really a surprise, but wanted to still mention Money, it. money, money. What do you have? Uh, man of the match. Oh, this is terrible. This is so bad. I, look, guys, I was stuck. So um, we all remember when Romelu Lukaku, uh, because he was upset about fitness and the rumors surrounding his fitness and, and effort, I suppose, at Manchester United, he released the metrics for their speeds. And quickly deleted it. And it showed Luke Shaw behind Juan Mata, who's how many years his senior? So Luke Not Shaw, just behind, he was also, he was last on the team. Last on the team, which fed into the Luke Shaw, not fit, bit rotund, the whole thing. And Luke Shaw was upset by it, which I would have been too, to be honest with you. Um, so then Luke Shaw responded with Inter going out of the Champions League. Uh, so obviously Romelu Lukaku had a, he had a, 
a picture of himself posted when Inter were in the UCL when he was training, and it's UCL, and he's all smiley. And uh, so Luke Shaw retweeted that because Rowenge is a dish best served cold, and he wrote, "Welcome back." Oh, because he's in the Europa League now. Yeah. So it's, it's not. That's your man of the match, huh? It's not good. It reminds me of a segment <laughs> Alan Partridge had called Alan's Funny Stories. <laughs> What a funny story. <laughs> funny stories. That was a funny story. <laughs> and it wasn't a funny story. Oh. So, Alan, um, at the end of an episode of his show, he's trying to get to the news, right, at, top, at the top of the hour. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to get it with his segment, Alan's Funny Stories, where someone rings in with a funny story. And this guy rings in, hello, Alan. Hello. And he goes, uh, one time I... Uh, I uh, I was given a present of a tool, a power tool, and then I gave it to someone else, and uh, they they bought it online again for themselves that they given it to me minus the power pack. So the the present y- y- that they gave you, they got back. Yeah, goodbye. And that's not enough time. The joke's supposed to go longer. And Alan goes, "What a funny story!" Even though it wasn't funny, he goes, and he's looking at the clock going round, and he goes, "Ah ha 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 ha." news <laughs> so he has to laugh right the way to the top of the hour and that's why from now on when i have a terrible man of the match we're gonna have alan's funny stories because it wasn't funny it's nice when you recite full comedy sketches should i have done that <laughs> look we- i have a friend who does the same thing he like will say oh, i saw this great stand-up comedian and then he'll go like into the act yeah like, you shouldn't no, do that not the same don't do it not the same as when he, the other guy's doing it yeah you're not dave Chappelle. Right. don't do it and you're not alan partridge no but I, the, the clip is on youtube all right now i feel like i've had two alan's funny stories <laughs> me telling uh, the jj's funny stories <laughs> what a funny story <laughs> funny story <laughs> i deserve that story Oh, what a weird ending to this podcast. Well, hey, this was <laughs> this was weird podcast. Yeah, it was. But I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Hey, the, as always. Supermassive Black Holes, The Event Horizon, David Ferry and the Warren Report, and uh, Alan Partridge. That's You got it all today. Barely any soccer, but plenty of other stuff. Hey, have a great weekend to you, I say. Take it later, fun boy. See ya. <laughs> You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 